0: Be meeting back uh, in this sec, uh, back section. If I could get a couple of guys, if you didn't mind, passing out some of these. And I, I'm sure I've got more than I need. Here you go. All right, you got it. There. This is my first Monday night of a VBS teaching, so I didn't know what to prepare for. All right, believe it or not, I was a lot more nervous about what I did about. Five minutes ago that I am standing in front of you. I'm uh, a little rusty. I used to do that a lot more frequently. Um, I, I made a pledge, uh, hopefully one that I can keep. I did not mean. I think we went over an hour last night, and uh, there's no call for that. And I don't want to. Maybe that's why we have a few less here. I. I I, uh, at least the kids get to rotate every 15 minutes, and if y'all are just sitting here, it's a little, little tough on you. So um, we, are, we are trying to talk about the characters that they are learning about in Vacation Bible School each evening. And last night, of course, uh, we talked about Noah, as they did, and maybe we looked at a little different perspective. And I think we're probably going to be doing that tonight. We're going to be looking at a different aspect of Moses than I think that they're going to be concerned with. Uh, but before I get to what it is that I have... Um, I'm interested in, when you think about Moses, of all the Old Testament characters, Moses is a man that has a, a lot more different kinds of things said about him. Uh, when you think of Moses, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Say again? All right, lawgiver, the, the giver of the Ten Commandments. In fact, what is the law referred to? What is its, one of its main um, appellatives? It's the law of Moses, right? It's the law of God. It's the Old Testament. It's the, uh, you know, the Ten Commandments are are ten of the 616 laws that make up the Old Testament, but it's the law of Moses, all right? So he's a lawgiver. He's the one who uh, brought the the Ten Commandments down. What else do you think of with Moses? Humble, Humble? all right? On, On what basis do you say that? It does. In fact, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. It is. It's in the Bible. So that's why we can say it. All right. That's all you got to say. That's good. All right. So he's humble. He's a lawgiver, so that's a position of authority. But he's also humble. And that's going to come to play in what we talk about. When you think about Moses, anything else come to mind? All right. So God works miracles through him. Right? So he is... He is... Um, What he does in his leadership, and by the way, how old does Moses live to be? Anybody know? Remember? 120. How much of that time was spent leading God's people? Well, it is easy to to divide his life into three 40-year sections. Now, in the first 40 years, where is he at? He's in Egypt. What's he trying to do? What's he trying to do? He's trying to lead but god 's not ready for him to lead yet, all right, so you remember that pivotal point where he kills the Egyptian slave in Exodus chapter two god um, uh, uh, Moses goes to Midian he flees and he gets married and he works for his father in law and he is in uh, he is a sheep herder for forty years. You know what that was That was a training ground that was a proving ground for the moment of truth so here's a man that lives one hundred and twenty years and He's, he waits 80 years. I, I was, I was about to do something very dumb. I was about to say, who's here 80 years old? If there is any, well, I know maybe one or two, maybe, but think about you haven't had that moment to serve as God's leader yet, and you're, and you're just turning 80 years old. He tried, but he was given the mantle of leadership in the last 40 years of his life. Um, when you think about Moses, I think, that one of the, the most powerful lessons that we learn about Moses is leadership, good and bad. Think about all the different uh, points in, in, in his 40 years where God is leading through him. And he is going to demonstrate himself through uh, the, the uh, miracles that he shows. And another aspect that we're going to actually drill down on in just a minute. Anything else you think of that you associate with Moses? Hebrews 11 tells us that. Remember, that's kind of where we're going with... Uh, our launching pad here is, is the Book of Hebrews, and he was he was raised in Pharaoh's house. He was educated in the ways of Egypt. He had it made. He had a, he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It was a cushy life, but he had his his handmaid was actually who, his mama, and she keeps him tied to God and His law and His ways. And so he's raised a Hebrew, even though he's in Egypt. Uh, and as he is there and he's, uh, he's going through that, he has that influence, he has that power, he has that education, but he never forgets who he is. And maybe that's part of that humility that he has. Anything else? All right. He didn't like to speak publicly. It's funny. He does a whole lot of it for somebody who doesn't want to do it. But it's one of his excuses in Exodus 3 and 4 not to lead. Now it's time God says, I want you to lead he 's been avoiding that for all this time, and then he goes in and and ultimately he 's speaking a whole lot but aaron 's his prophet is what God says as he 's giving him an answer to all of his excuses in exodus chapter four he didn 't like to speak publicly a lot of us can relate to that anything else his faith obviously he he didn 't make the hall of fame without having that faith, and it 's in about the middle of the chapter verse twenty three to twenty six or so where Multiple events in his life. Only one thing is said about Noah and his faith in Hebrews 11 and verse 7. But there's faith that he had being uh, raised in Pharaoh's house but uh, uh, refusing to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He suffered affliction instead with the people of God. And by faith, the Israelites, still talking about Moses, crossed the Red Sea, which the Egyptians trying to do. What happened? They were drowned. Okay? So definitely that his, his faith is what we're kind of launching off of. You said something else. Yeah. And what does that suggest to us? He had a relationship with God. He has an intimacy that is forged by familiarity. And it's interesting, there's two parts to that. God wants him in his presence. Will you remember that about God? God wants you close to him. He wants you coming to him. He wants you to desire his presence. But... Not only that, we have, we have Moses desiring to be in the presence of God. And so at the end of his life in Deuteronomy chapter 38, uh, sorry, 34, as he's going to die at 120 because of his disobedience, God told him he wasn't going to be able to go into the... Because uh, at Kadesh Barnea, remember the first time he said to Moses to strike the rock, and he did. Second time he tells him to speak to it, but in his anger and, the, and the, the, the complaining and the grumbling of the people, he strikes the rock. God says, you didn't glorify me. As a result of that, you're going to die. And it says in Deuteronomy 34, about 8 through about verse 10, that there was never anybody like it, how it was with Moses and God. He spoke to him as a friend speaks to a friend. That's beautiful, but it's also something we can replicate. We can do that. We can have that. We can approach the very presence of God, can't we boldly? Same book of Hebrews, what does it say? Hebrews four verse sixteen? Because we have this great high priest who understands he sympathizes with our weaknesses. He was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Therefore let us come boldly before the throne of grace. You know, sometimes when I'm I'm praying, I will I, I typically always begin with, with praise to God. But as I'm I'm somewhere in that first part of the prayer, sometimes I'll say God, I'm, I'm coming boldly into your presence as you've told me that I can with confidence because your son allows me to do that. Isn't it incredible that the God who creates the universe, the God who's going to cause the flood that we read about or we talked about yesterday, who's going to cause the Red Sea to part, who has that kind of power, who holds it all in the hollow of his hand, is a God who says you can come with boldness and confidence and have access to me. You know, you've heard it probably illustrated this way. De- depending on which would have been more desirable to you to, to be able to have an opportunity to talk to, you pick your president. I'm not going to get that, all right? Whoever your president is. And to be able just to, anytime you call the red phone, he's going to answer. And he's going to be right there. It just anytime, you know, it doesn't matter all the affairs of the country and the world that he's involved in. You call, he's there, he's listening, he's, he is, is willing to hear from you. Hey, can you imagine what kind of power you would have in this world, but you have more than that in being able to come to him? It's a great point. Anything else about Moses? With the leadership part, I think about the fact that he had to put up with a lot. I also think about his father-in-law. What a great relationship, at least incidentally, that he had. Anybody remember his his father-in-law? Jethro. I always remember Beverly Hillbillies. That might help you to remember that. So you won't forget now. Jethro. All right. So... Jethro's very wise. He, in fact, Moses, his sons, and his wife are away from him because from morning to evening, do you remember what Jeth, what Moses had to do? He's judging the matters of the people, small and big. Everybody's coming before him, and what's the net effect for him at the end of the day? Every day, same as it would be for us, right? Just worn out. What does Jethro say? Look, you need to to engage in some better time management and some better delegation. Don't try to do all this yourself. Here's the interesting thing. You're not only wearying yourself. You know what else you're doing? You're wearying the people. You're not being productive. You're not getting things done. And so he devises a great system. I think there's some great, if that was our purpose tonight, that's what we talk about. But not long ago, I talked about elders. You know, what what they say is fair is fair, right? So what I want to drill down on is if this is appropriate for a Monday night VBS adult class, I want to talk about preaching. Moses is called a prophet in Deuteronomy chapter 18. In fact, he's the prophet in Deuteronomy 18:15 and 18. Moses himself says that God's going to raise up another prophet like unto me, and you're going to listen to him. You know who that was, right? Jesus. All right? And right after that, he talks about the fact that he is a prophet of God. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that Moses is a preacher, but a prophet is a man who's bearing the message of God. And I believe that there is at least some parallels between the prophet of the Old Testament and the one who proclaims or preaches the word. Um, we're not able to disclose things that are revelations from God. We're not dealing in the miraculous, but we are dealing with the word of God that's been given to us that we're to share with others. And so I want us to, to think about Moses' a voice for hope. So I've just got three points. Um, Andy Griffith's is my favorite uh, television show. I've probably watched every episode of the first five seasons more times than I can count. Sorry, I don't like the color ones, but I love the black and white ones. And so if, you, if you'll... Not long ago, I saw one of my favorite episodes. Do you remember the time when Barney comes up on these two produce farmers? One of them's name was Neil, by the way. And he'd be uh, Sam the Butcher later in Brady Bunch, if you, if you want to know that. So they come along, and you remember Bar- Barney's... You know, I always like to think I can relate better to Andy but I'm probably a lot more like Barney you know Barney comes up to this scene and here they are and um, he tells them they need to move because they're selling their produce too close to Mayberry and they intimidate him and they run him off and Andy comes along you remember that and Andy they try the same ruse with him and he's not going to buy it and in the name of the law he sends them off and they go uh, on their way but he also brings up Barney you remember that and they're they're jo- laughing about what a joke of, an, of a deputy he is. And You remember he says, "No, that's Barney the Beast. That's Crazy Gun fife. You better be careful." You know, he, does he hit his, his holster? That's when you know he's fixing to, to shoot. So if you see that, so he, Andy sends Barney back. You remember that he goes and he tells them, and they're believing that about him, and so they take off, and then they go into town. They're get, they're getting gas at Wally's filling station. And uh, Floyd, as he always does, just busts Barney, right? And he says, oh, you must have him confused with somebody else. You know, he couldn't, he couldn't hurt a fly. So they're upset. You remember that? So they're going to go back and they say, tell him we're back in business and we want him for a customer. It's really one of the finest moments that Barney ever has. Because Andy finally convinces him. Do you remember they pull up to the place and, and Barney says to Andy, yeah, I want you to stay here. And he walks down there. And he faces up those two big guys, and he says, if I remember it right, he says, You both are a, are a lot bigger than me. But this badge represents a lot of people, and they're a lot bigger than both of you. He says, Are you going to leave? And of course, they leave, and of course, that's, that's a great moment. Let me tell you something as a preacher. And now you're going to think of me as Barney Five every time I'm up there preaching. But there are times where there's a message that you've got to share that is intimidating for you to have to share. Especially if the people that you know and love, and that you're building a relationship and that you like, and you want to be appreciated, you want to be admired like anybody else, you know that maybe there's a chance they're not going to like what it is that you have to say. There's, there's a call, a need for courage for the men who would stand up and preach. There's more than one purpose being accomplished in 2 Timothy, but one of the things that the Apostle Paul is trying to do for Timothy. This is the last letter, so far as we know, that Timothy—I mean—that Paul writes before he's put to death. Uh, he's back in prison. He's not getting out. And he knows the time of his departure is at hand. And he's about to be offered. And he says to Timothy in the beginning of that letter, he says... Um, you, you, you've lost your nerve, basically, chapter 1 and verse 6 and 7. Rekindle that fire, that, uh, that ministry that's in you. God has not given to us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of discipline or of sound mind. And so from that point through the letter, Paul is saying, you need to brace yourself because these are difficult times. There are people are going to be characterized in this particular way, but you have a word that's inspired, that's God-breathed, that I want you to share And then it gets to what's really the climax of the letter. And you're probably as familiar with this as you are with any other part of the letter. And and the Apostle Paul says, I charge you therefore in the presence of God uh, and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his coming and his appearing. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they will accumulate unto themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they will turn away their ears from the truth and will be turned unto fables. I don't, that may hit you as a Christian a little differently than it does me as a preacher, although we have the same marching orders. But there's some, there's some ear trouble in, in our world today. There's a hearing problem. It's not that the shape and the size of ears have changed or even that we've had a harder time with our physical hearing, but... As we move further away from God, it's harder for us to hear the things that were once widely accepted. Now, that's 2021, and we'll come back to 2021. But here's Moses with a message that you know that's not popular, but God gives him that message. And as you walk through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, there are three things about his message that Moses shows to us that I think is beneficial. It's beneficial for me as the man who preaches, as instructions for me, but it's beneficial for all of us as we share in the preaching. Remember last night we talked about Noah's worship, it's active, that every part of the things that we do in worship on Sunday is, is, uh, calls for full participation from everybody? Now the singing's easy, right? Because all of us open up our mouths and we're all fully engaged in that. But we're all engaged in prayer, or we're supposed to be. That's what a prayer leader is doing. He's leading us in prayer. Lord's Supper, we, we, we're engaged with our Lord. We're engaged together in doing that, that uh, activity together. In giving, we are corpor- corporately, cooperatively doing that together. And preaching, it's not like you know binging uh, Amazon Prime or, or Netflix. It's not passive. It's an active exercise. It's harder to do that than it is to passively be entertained by something. And so you're engaging in a process. So that I, even though this is going to be a beating on me, it's a, it's a process that we do together. What Moses does and what he needs to do in that 40 years of leadership that he has is to present a clear message. And there's three things I want you to notice about that clear message and then we'll be done tonight. Number one, clear, uh, that clear message, that clear preaching calls for commitment. Now, that commitment, in Numbers chapter 13, anybody know what's happening in Numbers chapter 13? It's okay. It's not like Genesis 1 or anything, so it's, it's a little harder to remember. Numbers 13 is when God, sends the, the, uh, through Moses, sends the 12 spies out to spy out the land of Canaan. All right, so you know how all that goes. 12 spies come back, and uh, they all come in front of Moses to give their report. That's what he wanted them to do. All right, so Caleb in Numbers 13 verse 30, what does he say? Yeah, what are we waiting for? Let's go, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. What is Caleb doing? Now, this is, Moses is delegated now. He's already had his Exodus 19 moment from Jethro, and he's given this job to these 12 leaders of Israel, and they've gone and they've done their work, and they come back, and Caleb stands up and he says, Let's go. Let's do this. We can do it. God's on our side. I know that it's just as we've said. They've already given kind of the challenges. Those ten, um, uh, other spies, the majority report. They said that the, we've spied out the land. It does have the milk and honey. It does have this produce. Look, here it is. But there's also the, the, the natives of the land. They're big. There's the cities. They're walled and they're fortified. It's, it's a challenge. But then Mo, then Caleb says, let's go do this. And then the people turn up the heat. They start exaggerating. They, they really start saying, and the, and the end result of that is, we're grasshoppers in our side, and we're grasshoppers in their side. But what he's doing there is he's challenging them. He's, he's calling them to greater action. Harvard Business Review in 1969, um, uh, debuted their, their training with a book by J. Stanley Livingston called Pygmalion and Management. And you may or may not know this, but the play, My Fair Lady, is based off of the Pygmalion ideas. And, and if you don't know much about Pygmalion, you, you might remember Eliza from My Fair Lady. And you guys are going, well, sure we do, because we watch musicals all the time. I don't either, but I prepared in this lesson, so I, I, I know that part. She's the, she's the woman who was the, 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 she was taken in and it made a project to show that you could take any old person and make a, a lady out of them. And she, she has a line in that movie where she says, the difference between a flower girl and a lady is not how she behaves, but how she is treated. All right, and uh, Livingston and his researchers at, at uh, the Harvard Review applied that to management. And they said that managers who have high expectations of their employees get what kind of production from them? Effective, high. And those that have low expectations? What you would expect, they do poorly. Now, I don't think that's just true of flower girls and of business management. I think that's true of God's people. If if we, in the preaching that's done, do not challenge evangelism, do not challenge us to develop good Bible teachers, don't challenge us to rise above the world and live distinct and different from that, and don't challenge evangelism, I think that what happens is God's people not being challenged don't rise. But if... In my experience, and it's, it's not exhaustive, but in my experience, when you challenge people to rise up and to do that work, to, to do what we're called to do as Christians, God's people are the best people in the world. And you know what they do? They, they rise up to that challenge. So often we just haven't challenged them. Now, Caleb is an example of how sometimes that doesn't work how you can challenge people and they don't respond, but I think that's the minority. I, what Paul does in a lot of his letters, and this is he's a masterful communicator, and he does this at Corinth, he does this at Rome, he does this at Galatia, he does this at Thessalonica, and he does this at Philemon. You know what all of those epistles have in common? In all of them he says, I have confidence in you. Nehemiah comes with this huge task and as he comes to them and he speaks to them and they have these walls that are crumbled down and the, the temple is still a work in progress, he says, Let us rise and build, for the people had a mind to work. They were challenged and they rose to the task. And David challenges the people of Ramoth-Gilead to have strong and valiant hands. And despite uh, Amasa being so wicked, the people do that. They, they, they do rise up to the challenge. What Moses does is something that preaching needs to do. And I recognize that as a preacher. It's got to be a a call to commitment. Because we made a commitment when we obeyed the gospel. And what effective preaching in God's eyes does is it challenges us to go up higher, to do more than we had done before. Number two, clear preaching has the Lord as its authority. Now, from the time that Moses is called at the bush in Exodus chapter 3 until the very end of his life, there's one consistent thing about him. He always indicates that the Lord is the authority of his message. If you'll notice with me over in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 20, Moses warned about somebody who would come along and say that they had a message from God, but they did not have a message from God. It's right after he says that there's going to be a prophet like me that's going to be raised up. You're going to listen to him. In Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 20, he says, But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. You may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if a thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Now Moses, by contrast, is not like that. When Moses is is speaking, Numbers chapter 39 and verse 40 says that Moses told the children of everything uh, just as the Lord had commanded him. In fact, God, you might remember that Miriam and Aaron are questioning whether or not he is the Lord's spokesman over in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 8. But he says, I'm saying what God has told me to say. Um, And Moses, in having this message from God, the thing that impresses me about him is this didn't make him arrogant. So here's where we go to the statement that you made earlier. Numbers 12 and verse 3 says that Moses was humble like no other man on the face of the earth you don't have to answer this out loud but if you ever had the experience of having someone who preached and they seemed so arrogant and the way maybe the way they talked down maybe the way that they approached it by by they didn't say it in words but what they were conveying was i got this all figured out i'm perfect and i know how to do this and you're so pathetic and hopeless Moses has been on the mountain with God. Moses speaks to God as friend to friend. If anybody had a right to say, boy, I know somebody, I know the somebody, and that would be conveyed in his attitude, how is it, or isn't it appropriate that a man who knew God that well, whose message was from God, was a man who was humble? You know, sometimes it seems that our message can get so full of ourselves that we can't have any room to be filled with the message of Christ. Moses shows the preacher that as your message comes from God, that ought to make you humble. And it also means that you need to share what it is that he's told you. That's where it can get hard. What made the preaching of Moses so effective is that he preached what the Lord had said. Sometimes preachers can get enamored with what the experts and with what the the schools of thought are out there. And while we need to be progressive in our method, we have a message that can't change. And Paul would say that in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. He says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him who called you from the gospel of Christ to another gospel, the grace of Christ into another gospel, which is not another, but there are some that trouble you and pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other message unto you, than that which we preach unto you, let him be accursed and I don't know why, Well, maybe we can ask the Lord on the judgment day, that the Apostle Paul feels the need with the, the brevity that the Spirit gives to the Word that he would say it a second time. As I said before, so I say it now again. If anyone preach any other gospel unto you than that which I preached unto you, let him be accursed. God's message is simple and straightforward, and he wants us to share that. I read about how Random House, their co-founder, put out a challenge made a $50 bet with his most popular author that he could not produce a book of 50 words or less that was coherent, that had a storyline and meaning, and that would be memorable. Guess what? He lost the bet. The next year, Dr. Seuss had green eggs and ham. If you're interested, 49 words. God's message is relatively brief with all that he's trying to accomplish in his word. But the thing that you'll find about the Bible is it's comprehensible. It's understandable. It's simple. You look at the Sermon on the Mount, and you don't have to have a PhD to listen to Jesus preach. You don't have to sit there and scratch your head and say, what in the world does he mean? What are these big these big 10-cent words? What are all these esoteric terms? Oh, Esoteric means uh, that which is kind of mystical or... or, or Uh, That's a word I shouldn't have used just now. So the point is, Christian book distributors did a survey. And they asked, they determined that the King James Bible is written on a 12th grade level. The New American Standard Bible is written on an 11th grade level. The NIV is written on a 7th or 8th grade level. The, The New King James is written on a 7th grade level. The idea is, even the version, that's not the original language. That's a translation into our language. That God has given us a book that with a reasonable education, that we can read ourselves. But even without that, people have learned God's truth as it was told to them by others. But the message that that was part of clear preaching was understandable. It wasn't spoken over people's heads, but it was true to what God had told. And it made him humble as a result of that. The last thing I want us to notice is that clear preaching is done with patience and compassion. There's a remarkable statement that's made about Moses. You know, Moses is the hero of the Old Testament. So more is said about him than just about any other character in the Bible. Maybe David would vie for that, that space. But Moses is written about a lot in the book of Psalms. And the psalmist says this in Psalm 106 and verse 21. Israel forgot God their Savior who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awful, uh, awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them. Had not Moses his chosen one stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath lest he destroy them. Now that refers back to the book of Numbers chapter 14. You remember God is, is having Moses plead with him on behalf of the people. God is ready to destroy them because of, of their wickedness. And at the climax of the appeal Moses says pardon the iniquity of this people I pray according to the greatness of your mercy just as you have forgotten, forgiven rather, this people from Egypt even until now. Now, you think about how Israel tried Moses' patience and how he was at his wits' end and it caused him even to be disobedient to God uh, in, at Barnea. And yet, there's no question about how much Moses loved the people that he spoke to. In fact, they mourned him greatly in Deuteronomy 34 and verse 10 because he meant that much to them. He had built a relationship that's not adversarial, that's not superior to inferior. The the idea of encouragement, the the Greek word parakaleo, means to call alongside. And I think the best explanation I've ever heard of that is this. It's the idea of somebody coming along beside you, putting their arm around you, and kind of guiding you through whatever that principle is. Now, some of you have had people like that in your life, haven't you? Mentors, people that you learn something from. So I, mine was a, uh, was a man named Bob Miller. He was a captain in the Army. We had nothing a uh, lot. He was 30, 35 years older than me. Big, tall guy, retired Army captain. Got me my first job at Hinesville Builder Supply. He, just, he wrote me a letter of recommendation for, for college, and he taught me the, the little I know about how to use my hands and a, a lot about life. I had a great dad. And dad taught me a lot too. But I think it meant more because Bob wasn't my dad, he didn't have to do that. And it was kinda of hard for him, he had to stoop over a little bit to do it, but more than once he put his arm around my shoulder. And he'd say, Now son, this is not how you're supposed to do that. This is what I want, is what you need to do. You know, whether it was fishing or using a post hole diggers, whatever it was, he had that he, he would come alongside. He never was ugly and mean. He knew I needed to learn more about that and he was willing to do that. That's probably a very imperfect analogy. It seems to me that at least part of what a preacher's work is to do is to do that, to come alongside. You know, there's going to be times when we have to talk about hell and the judgment. But I hope it's never the case that it looks like I'm enjoying talking about it or hoping that you go there. You see... We're in this together. Moses is trying to go to the same place that all the Israelites are. And he's facing his own challenges just as they are. But he's doing all that he can. He was, with, he was at it for 40 years. You don't do that without a love of people. You don't do that if you stay locked away from people in an ivory tower somewhere. You've got to be involved in people's lives. And Moses was day after day. You know... I don't know if if, um, if Paul thought about this with regard to himself, but in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, because gospel preachers are Christians, I think these truths should be evident in our preaching. In Colossians 3 and verse 12, He says, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. This is the way that we want to be dealt with by God. So that's the way that we should want to deal with others. Sadly, for one reason or another, some preachers become bitter, isolated, and depressed during the course of or maybe because of. They're preaching. There's no doubt Moses was sometimes discouraged. But he remained patient and compassionate. And so God's preacher needs to remember that as he deals with God and his people. I heard a poem. Um, I don't know. The guy's name is W.R. Cruz. The title of the booklet it came out in was Playing Church. Um, I heard this as... A kid. Um, You may have heard it before. It says, Preach a sermon, preacher, but don't preach very long. Just tell a heartwarming story, but don't condemn the wrong. Say not a thing about specific problems, because that's something we don't want to know. We're just here to feel real good, so don't mess up the show. Preach a sermon, preacher, but don't preach doctrine plain. Let others guess at what is meant. Don't ever call a name. We'll sing your praises loud and long and keep you many a day. But preach it clear and you will hear. Brother, be on your way. Preach a sermon, preacher, but say nothing of our duty. Tell us all about God's grace and picture heaven's beauty. Leave out the things that we must do. We're busy making money. Keep it short and off the point and make it sweet as honey. Preach a sermon, preacher, but say nothing of our sins. Don't speak of hell, repentance, or other stuff that offends. Tell us about how Jesus loves each and every one and how he'll forgive us no matter how our lives are run. Preach a sermon, preacher, but make sure we're entertained. With the right technique, there's sure to be new converts to be gained. Tell us about church youth programs and our gospel bands. I'm thinking this is not written by a member of the church. I don't don't think so. With these, we're sure to win more souls and give our Lord a hand. Preach a sermon, preacher, and speak of the day we die. Tell all the folks about our home beyond the starry sky. Preach a sermon, preacher, make it strong. Preach it straight to heaven. Tell us that since we have church membership, we get eternal living. Now, I didn't read that for the reason that you might think. I have heard gospel preachers at least quote some portion of this. And there may be churches somewhere who think that way, certainly not Lehman Avenue. I think there's sometimes preachers who have gone the other direction, and all they can do is just beat on and be harsh. And there are some, because they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, will never step on a toe. The challenge that God wants the gospel preacher to meet is to find the balance. To be willing to speak about whatever needs to be spoken, but to do so in such obvious love that nobody can miss it. With the idea that it's a sinner telling other sinners, beggars all, how to find bread. A lot of stuff can be said about Moses, but I appreciate personally Moses the preacher. And I hope that you got a little benefit from that. Let's have a word of prayer. God, thank you for this uh, great and faithful group of people who are here tonight and who are demonstrating their commitment to you, their commitment to Vacation Bible School. We're so grateful for um, all the great that's done, a great good that's been done already in this with all the work that's gone into it. We're thankful for those who are, are sitting as teachers in our classrooms and involved in various ways. We're thankful for each and every adult that's in here tonight. We're thankful for their lives and for their conviction and for the light that they shine in each and every day help us father to want all of us clear preaching preaching that comes from you that's a message that has you as the source that has compassion and that it calls us to be better and to be more like jesus father help us to encourage each other each and every day even the more so as we see the day approaching in jesus name amen All right. You'll have about 15, fifteen, twenty minutes if you're staying and waiting for the kids to come back.